When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Um, we've got a bit of a reprise uh, uh, episode today, and I, I mean reprise in the sense that uh, my guest is someone that has been on the show before uh, to great acclaim. Uh, it was one of the best performing episodes uh, that I had done up until that point in time. Um, and uh, Nate uh, Regeer is here. We've got a new book that uh, I want to be sure that we're getting in place here. Um, you know, Nate is the uh, CEO and founding owner of Next Element Consulting, and it's a leadership consultancy uh, and training firm that helps firms build cultures of compassion, compassionate accountability. And as uh, regular listeners to the show know, yeah, compassionate capitalism is something that I am absolutely adamant about. I mean, that's everything that I do uh, in business is organized around compassionate capitalism. So, Nate, I want to just welcome you back to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Blaine. It is great to be here with you. Good to see your face again and hear your voice. And wonderful to have a conversation today about this important topic. Oh, it's going to be great. Now, this new book, um, I want to just jump right in into the deep end on this thing. Um, and, and just talk about this and, and really kind of you know, spend some time with it. Um, how leaders build connection and get results. And the book's title is actually Compassionate Accountability. So why don't we just kind of start with compassionate accountability? What, what's the problem you're trying to solve with this book? Because everything has got a, a pinch point at some point in time. Oh, how man. does compassionate account accountability come into this? Yes, absolutely. Well, there, there's two parts to this. A lot of people see those two words together, and the first thing they get is a puzzled look on their face, like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? <laughs> and then a little bit later, once they get understand what it is, they're, they, they are excited about the possibilities and the opportunities. So the big idea or the big problem we're trying to solve is this notion that compassion and accountability are somehow at odds, that they're somehow in tension with one another and have to be balanced. And a year ago, right about now, I was contacted by my publisher to write a second edition of my third book, mm -hmm. or my second book, Com second Conflict book. Without Casualties. And they thought, you know, been a couple of years, time for a, you know, and I was going to do that. And then all of a sudden, we started seeing what was happening coming out of COVID and seeing the trend and seeing this huge challenge to balance kindness, care, attention to people, and a fierce competition for results. And so we called an audible, we stopped the press and we said, hey, can we switch things out? This book has been one we've wanted to write and we think it's time. We think the message is needed right now. And our publisher was great. And so we switched gears on a dime and wrote this book in, in record time for us. 
because the message of compassion and accountability together, I think is just so critical right now. Oh, I, I could not agree with you more on that. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because accountability, and this is just kind of based on my experience in about 40 years of consulting in businesses. Yeah, and you'll hear, hear people say all the time, you know, they aren't holding people accountable or we need to hold people accountable. And it's usually within the framework of something's gone sideways. Yeah, something's gone off the rail. Yeah. And accountability becomes conflated with who's to blame here. Yep. Um, and that's why I'm very intrigued with this notion of, of, of compassion in this conversation of accountability. Yeah. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about you know, how, how our relationship, or how compassion actually can change our relationship with accountability in the workplace? Yeah, that is that that is a that's a big deal. And it's so interesting when we say we need to hold people accountable or they're not holding them accountable somewhere. We seem to have this sense that people aren't doing what they're supposed to, or we need more in order to get wherever we're trying to go. And somebody needs to step up. Yeah. But why is compassion connected? Well, if you go back to the root of the word compassion, compassion from the Latin root means with suffer mm -hmm. struggle with, isn't it ironic that that example you just shared is really about someone else needs to struggle more or someone's not struggling enough. And so it's really about isolating responsibility and nothing could be further from the whole essence of compassion, which means to struggle with. If we really, if our fates are interconnected and, and we really need each other to survive on this earth, then we can't separate ourselves at the most critical moments when we're talking about responsibility and we're talking about getting things done, we really need to figure out what does it mean to truly struggle with somebody towards this goal? And that's when these two actually start to come back together and realize that compassion can't actually exist without accountability, without responsibility, right. um, simply because we are humans working together towards goals. You know, what I like about the way you just described that is, you know, it's in my experience again here, it's literally impossible to behave compassionately unless I acknowledge that there is a fundamental connection to what I'm doing yes. and to what you're doing and to what we, you know, then we yeah. are attempting to, to produce here. Yeah, yeah, compassion doesn't exist in a, in a vacuum. No, it doesn't. And, and there's, yeah, and it, and it is the behavioral analog and, and we talked about this, I think, when you were on the on the show the first time. Compassion for me is the behavioral analog to conscious capitalism. Yes, I look yes. at it from that standpoint. How do how do we behave, recognizing consciously that there is a yeah. connection? Um, you used another word in here, responsibility, and this gets to be a really interesting conversation as well. I think because I think you know responsibility and accountability get conflated. They, yes. They're almost treated as if they are interchangeable mm. and they aren't interchangeable. No. They are actually very different animals. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that and then how your book actually may address that? Yes, that's really important. And when I when I get to the 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 real accountability responsibility aspect of compassion, I clarify those two words. We have to get those clear up front. And the, the way we see the difference is uh, accountability implies that you have to answer to someone or something. You account for an outcome, but you may not be the one producing that outcome. 
You may not actually be responsible for the behaviors that deliver that outcome, but you are accountable for them. Most people in a leadership position are accountable for the delivery of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But those individuals are responsible for their behaviors, their thoughts, their feelings, just as the leader is. So we can be accountable for things that are not ours, but we cannot be responsible for anything that is beyond our own behaviors, our own thoughts, and our own feelings. And when leaders get confused about that, things really start to get crazy. That's when the finger pointing happens, the blaming, the avoiding, um, being willing to use tactics that are not compassionate at all to get what we want. Um, <clears throat> yeah, fear, fear being probably the, the greatest lever that most uh, yeah. traditional yeah. leaders will try to work with. Yeah, yeah. do it or else, you know, sort yeah. of a thing. Which actually kind of, the idea of com- uh, accountability, you know, I, I can account for X. Mm-hmm. I can account for, you know, connect the dots, looking backward, <laughs> and we kind of yeah. get to this point. I was in a conversation with a client not too long ago about the the whole idea of people aren't being accountable. Uh, We need to hold them accountable. And the question I posited was, are they capable of delivering what you're asking? And if if they're not capable through a deficit in skills or knowledge or whatever it might be, or lack of resource, if they're not capable, they justifiably can't be held accountable until that capability component is actually addressed. Mm -hmm. So part of, just in kind of a a, a out loud thinking here, part of what I would consider to be a compassionate move would be to question that capability perspective from the standpoint of what do you need here in order Mm -hmm. to be able to perform to the standards that we've agreed are important to perform? Uh, how does that match you know, kind of your experience in, in the research that you've done? It's true. You know, the word responsible could be considered response able. Are you able to respond? And if you don't have the skills, you are not able to respond. Now, are you capable of learning the skills? Perhaps. Um, can you learn and grow and, and, and assume higher levels of responsibility? Absolutely. But this gets down to the three facets of compassion. And we're kind of backing into it from the responsibility aspect. You mentioned the capability aspect, but compassion for it truly to work includes three key components. And we call those the three switches of the compassion mindset. There's three facets that are based on this fundamental definition of compassion. That is, it is the practice of demonstrating that people are valuable, capable, and responsible in every interaction. You can't- Say that again. The practice of it's the practice of demonstrating. So it is something we work on every single day. We demonstrate it through our interactions and our behaviors with each other. What do we demonstrate that people are valuable, capable, and responsible, not just some people, everyone, and not just valuable and not just capable, but they're also responsible and you can't have one without the other. And, and, and you really can't talk about responsibility unless you talk about capability and value and, and the other way around. And then when? Well, every single interaction. And so the fundamental question is, how do we affirm, uplift human value, human capability, and human responsibility in every mm-hmm. interaction? That's when we can achieve compassionate accountability. I love, uh, and I really appreciate that distinction. 
um, because it, it, it's granular. It actually gives me something to work with uh, yeah. as a leader. Yeah. So, you know, which you know, kind of brings up the natural question. How do you actually implement, uh, implement you know, compassionate yeah. accountability? If yeah. you've, you've got to practice you know, on a daily basis. How, how, in the work you've done with your clients, where do you see the nexus of uh, practice coming into yeah. the, the day-to-day business work? It really starts with this fundamental mindset. And, and we have to ask ourselves, are you willing to choose to view yourself and other people as valuable, capable, and responsible? And we call that turning the switches on. And you can do that mm-hmm. with an attitudinal decision. Will you choose to view people this way in your next interaction? Then we have to talk about what are the specific behaviors that actually turn on the switches or turn off the switches. I might demonstrate, I have my own switches yeah, right here. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I play with them. You can see they're just electrical switches, but it, the metaphor, the, this metaphor works really good. And, and so I'm happy to talk about what those switches are, but in practice, we teach, we teach leaders, what are the behaviors that turn on and keep on the switch for myself mm-hmm. as well as for others? Because we are interdependent and we both have to be at equal, at equal places here. And then what does it look like to implement this framework within our policies, procedures, structures, and systems? So if we were to treat our organization as valuable, capable, and responsible, what about the environment? What about the larger culture within which we, which within we, we work? And so this gets really dovetails with your work about that if we understand this interconnectedness and the way in which we affect each other, these three switches are behaviors that we do every day, but they're also how we set up our organizations, our systems, our processes. I love that. I love that. So it actually kind of goes back to a whole infrastructure. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How do we design our, our organization to have this be part of the process by which we conduct who we are and how we go to market. Yeah, and in, in, in my book, actually, there's an implementation section where we out, we identify the six probably biggest first places you should look. Approach that part of your organization through the lens and ask yourself, are we turning on and keeping on the switches in our talent, in our recruitment and talent development? What about our mission, vision, and values? How about the way we talk about performance? and incentive systems. And so, so that's, I think, how we start to embed it. Yeah. How about the recruiting part of that? You know, well, who do, we, who do we actually bring in? Exactly. And I, I submit to you that, that the compassion mindset should be the fundamental framework and ethos of an organization. So then the question is, how do you hire for it? How do you recruit and hire for it? And there are ways. We actually, I actually published a blog post a, a while back on how to how to recruit for a compassion mindset. How do you interview? What are the actual behavioral interviewing questions to see if somebody has their switches turned on and if they know how to keep them on? Okay, we're going to take a real quick break. When we come back from this break, I want to you know, do a little bit of a deep dive on that because I'm working with a number of startups right now that are growing, and the onboarding process, you know, beginning with the interviewing is something that is confounding to a lot of people. So we'll take a real quick break, listening to uh, Nate uh, Regeer here talking about his new book, and we'll uh, pick it up on the, uh, the flip side of this little break. The nature of life is evidenced in nature. Nature grows, and all of nature honors the desire to be more, to have more, and to do more. 
Life thrives when it's allowed to grow. And ideally, thriving is what we also, all of us, want to be able to do. Unfortunately, at some stage in life, most people find themselves settling into what I can only call a rut. And a rut is nothing more than a coffin with the ends kicked out. You want to quickly get out of any rut that you find yourself in. When you stop growing, that's when the coffin starts to appear. You know, the simple truth is this, and this is true for everything in nature. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Every one of us dies. So the question we need to come to grips with is not are we going to die. The question nature asks us to answer is are we truly living? That's what motivation is about. It's the desire to move. It's the desire to grow and to excel. Have I lived? How have I lived? I'd love for you to take advantage of my Leadership Mindset Masterclass. It's all about providing you with the tools to ensure thriving for yourself and for those around you. Register today to receive the free introduction video and find out more about this acclaimed program. You'll also receive a copy of my international number one bestseller, Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. I'm Blaine Bartlett, and I look forward to helping you thrive. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back. When we took a break, um, we had just begun to explore uh, a little bit about how you, you know, basically hire you know, with a compassionate mindset as the, the litmus, I guess, if you would, or the screening filter. So, yeah, Nate, could you talk a little bit about what your, you know, what your studies and research has actually indicated we could be paying attention to? And by could, I mean, really, we should be paying attention to? Yeah. Well, it starts, the three switches are value, capability, and responsibility. And the value switch is, we have discovered, is supremely important. And it's the foundation for inclusion. It's the foundation for diversity and equity. It's really the foundation for psychological safety. So to turn the value switch on means we, we adhere to the fundamental belief that all humans are unconditionally valuable. Now, that doesn't mean they can do whatever they want. It means right. that as a human, they're still okay, but, it, but we can talk about behaviors. It's just about how do you separate the person from the behavior and create a safe place where people can be who they are and then talk about how to improve their capability later. Um, and so there are, you know, an example, if we were going to ask a candidate, how do they treat people as valuable? We might ask some, something like this. Describe a time when you believed in someone who didn't believe in themselves and how did that impact their work performance? A great question. Yeah, just describe question. that. Yeah, or how yeah. do you describe a time when you got vulnerable with your employees or team? Because candid, confident transparency is one of the most important leadership skills. So can they describe a time when they got vulnerable in a way that was appropriate, was safe, um, show their cards to say that it's okay to show yours. Um, maybe mm -hmm. a little Ted Lasso style right there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's exactly where I was starting to go. Yeah. Ted Lasso. This is a good, <laughs> he's great. A good archetypical. Oh, I love that show. And then <laughs> the capability, <laughs> the capability switch is another one that gets really distorted with a lot of leaders, particularly when they get promoted because 
when the, cap the capability switch has the fundamental belief that anyone can contribute under the right conditions. So when the switch is on, we believe in people, we invest in them, we get curious, we learn about where they're coming from. We ask the questions like you did before. Is this a, is this a competence issue? And if so, we can train, we can give opportunities. Um, but when the switch is off, we treat people as if they're not capable or limited capability. And this is what happens with the Peter principle is we promote people for their technical competence. They don't have the leadership skills. And so what they do is they just come in and solve everyone's problems and do everything for them. And by doing that, they're saying to everybody, you're not capable. I'm more capable than you are. And I don't believe in your capability. And so there's a lot of problems that get created like that. So then how can we hold people accountable? How can we talk about responsibility if we're not, if we don't have our capability switch on? Exactly. So, you know, in part, then it kind of seems like there's a bit of a pendulum that kind of works here. Yeah. yeah. There's a spectrum of compassion. It's yeah. not just an on-off switch as much as it is. There's a, you know, a rheostat that's involved with this. Yeah. yeah. How, how does that show up at work? Oh my goodness. The, the <laughs> pendulum of compassion, which is a diagram that I have in the beginning of the book, really kind of came clear to me at this moment, we were coming out of COVID. And we were, we, I just observed that when COVID hit, it was like, everybody just put everything on pause, put all their differences aside. And we were like, we're in this together. We had this huge common enemy, which was, which was the virus. Everybody was scared. Nobody knew what to do. So we just kind of all huddled together. Like we had a common enemy. Boy, yeah. that didn't last very long. Right. <laughs> yeah. Then all of a sudden it was vaxxers versus anti-vaxxers. Where did it come from? Who caused it? Why are we doing this? You're closing your borders. You're not. It's like, it just became this huge divisive political issue. And then when the, and then when the pendulum, and there's no compassion there, but then when the pendulum started coming back, we started saying, wait, we've been pretty much saying anything goes because nobody's at work, but we still have to get work done. So then all these conversations about performance management, work from home or not work from home, return to work. How do you get your work done? How do you make sure people are doing what they're supposed to do? So now the accountability questions started coming back in really loud. Um, and coming out of COVID, the cl it's clear that things are not going to be like they were. It's right. a new world with a whole new realizations. So that was kind of, I realized that, you know, this, we can take any crisis, any situation, and we can approach it at anywhere along that pendulum. Um, and, you know, again, to your, to your point, when we have enlightened self-interest, we, we deal with it with the realization that we are fully interdependent and our behaviors rely on each other. So that's how we have to act. Yeah, compassion. I mean, this is, you know, I'm speaking kind of my, my own experience here. I remember the very first time I started positing compassionate capitalism, compassionate capitalism as a potential model for how we do business. I gave a speech to a group of Wall Street bankers and this goes back, oh my goodness, I think probably almost 18 years ago, 15 years ago, something like that. Uh, my, as my mom used to say, it was like uh, flying a lead balloon through a pin factory. <laughs> and oh, man. It did not yeah. go over well. Yeah. It's kind of like, what yes. are you talking about? This, this whole notion of compassion in the workplace, mm -hmm. has, is, it really is a disruptive context yeah. and concept. Yeah. Um, how, yeah, how, how, how has your take on compassion 
in the workplace evolve? I know it, it certainly has evolved for me yeah. in terms of how I position it, uh, even how I uh, uh, hold it as a possibility. As a, you know, at one time, it was just kind of this pipe dream, you know, you know, yeah. clichéically speaking. But now it's not just a pipe dream. Now, for yeah. me, it is an absolute uh, paramount requirement for the species yes. <laughs> if we're going to you know, move forward. So there's been a dramatic shift. There has, there's, there's been a huge evolution of our relationship with compassion in the workplace. And I, and I map that out in, in kind of six eras in the beginning of the book over uh -huh. the last 30 years or so. And I think we're already over the hump now where the research is clear. We know that compassion matters. It's good for business. It's good for retention. The real question is how and for who. And so recognizing that, that it still has a stigma, that the word compassion has a lot of misunderstandings. I dedicated the whole last half of the last section of the book to address a variety of barriers that get in our way. And we know it's the right thing to do, but why is it so hard? And so there's a lot of reasons. And so I really want to meet people where they are and say, look, wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, I hear you. I, I get you. And let, let's talk about this barrier. Let's talk about what's getting in the way. And then let's upgrade our understanding and practice of compassion. So it's something you can get on board with and you can feel good about and you can embrace. You know, Edward Deming, uh, who's a quality guru, uh, particularly in Japan, you know, the Deming Prize uh, is the uh, equivalent of the Baldridge Award here in the U.S., um, I think, and he had a list of things that we need to pay attention to in a, in a workplace environment. And I think number 13 was drive fear out of the workplace. Um, yeah. So when we start thinking about how many organizations are run today, you know, fear seems to be the, you know, and, and you can look at this in the political sphere as well. You know, fear is the lowest common denominator. I mean, if you want to access emotional engagement, you use fear because it's, yeah. 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 Compassion doesn't have a place there in the sense that we, you know, in the way that we're working uh, with it, at least that I'm working with it. Yeah. And I believe the same is true with you here. What have you experienced in, in again, you know, in your research, what happens to fear as a motivator when compassion is brought in as the modus operandi? Fear is a fabulous motivator. Um, and it can be used as a weapon or it can be used as a thing to bring people together. And so when we are dealing with leaders who are, well, they're using fear as a weapon, as a tool, as a lever, the first thing is, look, let's just talk about how afraid we are. <laughs> That's yeah. why, you Call know, we're projecting our fear <laughs> in everyone else. So it's really, if my switch of value is on, I would realize I'm valuable enough that it's okay for me to talk about how afraid I am and that it's okay for me to ask for help. And that being afraid and not having all the answers doesn't make me incompetent and it doesn't make me weak. So we flip it all up on its head and say, let's just talk about how afraid we are. And then let's come together and support each other and say, how can we move together towards a place of less fear? Um, and then people are on board and they actually, I mean, I think you said, there's a, I have a quote in my book from you where you said, without co-creation, all you have is compliance. And when we use fear as a lever, we can get compliance in the short run. And then yeah. those people are going to go work somewhere else as soon as they can. 
or we can talk about our fears and co-create the solutions that are going to move us from here to there. And then we have engagement and we have this idea of, of I think you call that we transfer ownership and we start have being in this together. I love that. Yeah, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm just thrilled to see this book come to market. I, I, I really am. Um, I know how I'm benefiting from it, but when you wrote the book, who did you write it for? I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. assuming that you wrote it in part for yourself. I mean, the books that I've written. I always do, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. I wrote, it, I wrote this book so that I could have uh, coffee on my company as a tax, as a tax write-off <laughs> and spend every morning in the coffee shop. Um, no, I, I wrote this book because leaders are struggling to reconcile these two issues. They know they have to do both, but they think they have to choose and they don't. So what do you do? We need the words, we need the strategies, we need the techniques. So it's not just for different levels of leaders to be better leaders. This is really a framework and a philosophy and a strategic approach to how we create cultures that are going to attract and retain the best people. They're going to fully embody inclusion and they're going to make a world that works for all. I love it. Folks, I mean, you can find out more about this in a number of different places. We're going to talk about those in a moment. But I also want to reference a podcast that Nate has. It's uh, called On Compassion with Dr. Nate. And I've listened to it. It is a really, really good podcast. I want you to, uh, in any way, shape, or form, compassion has captured your attention. Uh, Go go subscribe to his podcast. Uh, You will not regret it. Um, that's the fourth book that he's written here. Um, so where can people find out more about you and about the book? We make it easy. Compassionateaccountabilitybook.com. Everything you need is there. Get in touch with me from there. And, uh, there's extra resources. There's, there's, if you buy in bulk, you can, you can get everything up to a free keynote from me. So we're just trying to get the word out (laughs) as much as we can at compassionaccountabilitybook.com. And then they can find out more about you and your and the actual work you're doing at I'm yep, assuming absolutely. Next, next element, it's next hyphen element.com, if I remember right. Yeah, that URL I mentioned will take you to our website. It redirects to the page about my new book, and you're within our website and you can learn everything from right there. Great. Nate, hey, I loved having you on the show. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna circle back and have you back on again. I want to find out how the book is doing when we get it uh, actually launched because it's just now in pre-sale, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Launches on July 11. Perfect. So we'll have you back in the fall uh, because I think you're going to have some really interesting anecdotal uh, feedback at that time about how people are using those things. And I really would like to hear that. Thank you. I'll be, it'd be my pleasure to come back. Great. Been listening to Dr. PhD here, Dr. Nate Regeer. Uh, CEO and founder of Next Element Consulting and the author of the new book, Compassionate Accountability, How Leaders Build Connection and Get Results. This is Blaine Bartlett. I want you to uh, feel free to go to my website, blainebartlett.com. And I've got all kinds of resources there. Uh, The whole idea that I'm organizing my work around is being a center of distribution as opposed to a center of accumulation. And there's accountability built into that. There's also compassion built into that. So thank you for listening, Nate. Again, thank you for showing up. And I am thrilled about the book. Congratulations on it. Thank you so much. You bet. We'll talk next time. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.